Concerning Him, an Emmaus podcast is a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Concerning Him seeks to enrich Christians around the globe by educating and equipping them through various media. For more information about Emmaus, please visit emmaus.edu. Welcome back to another episode of the Concerning Him podcast. Today we are joined by Dr. Richard Bargus. Welcome, Dr. Bargus. Thank you. Glad to be here. We're very glad to have you here. You were on campus today. You preached chapel, um, spent some time with uh, our president and VPs, mm-hmm. I believe, at lunch, and uh, spending some time on campus. Dr. Bargus is the executive director, is that correct? Yes. Of the IFCA. Mm-hmm. Executive director of the IFCA. Um, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, could we just start out by you telling us what that means? What does it mean to be the executive director of the IFCA? Yeah, maybe I should start with what is the IFCA? That, that would yeah. be great, yeah. So our official name is IFCA International. Um, but when we were founded in 1930, we were Independent Fundamental Churches of America. Mm. And uh, that in the 80s was changed to IFCA International. And uh, we were founded because of the whole modernist fundamentalist controversy that was going on during the 1920s and 30s and on. And churches that were leaving denominations because of uh, liberalism uh, found that they needed to get together. They needed to minister mm-hmm. somehow together. And so they started reestablishing churches and um, schools and things like that, missions agencies, really wanting to recover true biblical fundamentalism built upon the, the authority of Scripture. And uh, yet they knew that having to work together, they didn't want to be in a denomination. They didn't mm-hmm. feel like that was biblical. They saw the really bad outcome of that. And so what they did was they said, we're going to gather together. And uh, they did in Cicero, Illinois, near Chicago. And uh, they had their first meeting, 1930, at Cicero Bible Church. And uh, these uh, pastors, a few laymen, uh, missions, and uh, different groups came together. And they said, we want to we want to function together in a fellowship where we can work together to accomplish the Great Commission, but we don't want to be tied together in denomination. Mm. So the center really is a doctrinal statement. And in that doctrinal statement, it lays out the fundamentals of the faith. And then some secondary issues that are really important, things like uh, dispensationalism and Mm. others. And those are really key to who we are. So even to this day, every single member, (laughs) individuals, um, or organizations like churches or even Emmaus, they have to sign a doctrinal statement that says we still are in agreement um, and we have not changed our doctrine mm. because that's really the hub. And then everything else around that is we all function together so that we can accomplish the same task that Christ gave us when he left us here on earth. Mm. And so whether that's being a, a local church or assembly where um, the pastor is a member or the church itself is a member, or whether it's a missions agency or missionaries out on the field or church planters or educational institutes, all of them are accomplishing the same mission. Yeah. So my task really is kind of to wrangle all of that in its different aspects internationally all over the world and to just oversee how those things are are happening, whether that's in uh, church planting or education or um, some other field, uh, printing, things like that. I'm not in charge of all of them. I'm just overseeing um, different members and different things that we do within that association to help it all function well. Okay. Yeah. A lot of our, actually everybody that we have in the podcast for the first time, we have them kind of give a bit of an autobiography. I feel like that's especially important for you. A lot of our listeners, um, are affiliated with the school or alumni of Emmaus. So if we bring on a 
professor. I mean, it could be helpful for them to hear their background, but a lot of them at least know who that person is. But yeah. I would assume a lot of our listeners are not necessarily familiar with you. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, could you take some time and just tell us your story about how the Lord led you uh, all the way to today, uh, being the executive director of the IFCA International? Yeah. Well, um, I'm originally from Southern California. Okay. I have several generations of family in Southern California. Um, my wife is the same. And so we met there, my wife and I, in Southern California. We uh, both grew up in the Christian church, in, in uh, uh, IFCA churches, actually. Okay. And uh, that's how we met as well. And uh, in that process, uh, the Lord really brought us to salvation uh, within the first year of our marriage. I grew up in church, heard the gospel clearly. Um, but through a lot of different circumstances, the Lord revealed that I didn't really know him. Um, my rebellious heart really became evidence in the early years of our marriage. And so the Lord graciously and wonderfully saved me and my wife in our first uh, year of marriage. And uh, immediately we began to pour ourselves into serving him in all kinds of ways, whatever way we could. And that started really with church planting. My parents mm -hmm. had been sent to plant a church and um, went to my dad and I said, hey, dad, I, I don't know what the Lord would have us, but what would you think we should do? He said, come join us, come help us with this little church plant. So we started doing that immediately. And the Lord just continued to snowball that. Um, I felt eventually that I needed to go to school, um, needed to go to college. And so um, because of my background with IFCA churches, I knew that the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, what it used to be called, it's now called Biola University, had its uh, early founding in IFCA men. Okay. And so I thought, well, great, a, a good, solid, fundamental Bible church foundation. That's probably the school it's in Southern California. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. It's not far. So I went. <clears throat> it's not exactly where it was when mm -hmm. it was founded in, in uh, 1908, but um, many of the founders were IFCA men, including um, men like Louis Talbot, who the seminary there yep. is named after, and um, J. Vernon McGee is so well known on the radio. He was their local pastor, and um, it, you know th those men had a massive impact on my early faith. And so I went there, and um, although it, it has changed, it's it's more broadly evangelical. Still learned a lot there, and then from there uh, I became a youth pastor. Um, and then the Lord gave me some years serving um, and learning and growing and realizing I needed more education. So I went to the master's seminary again in Southern California. Yeah. I was blessed because <laughs> I had schools all around me that I could choose from and um, was able to go there for my master of divinity, doctor of ministry, um, and even able to teach there for 12 years. Oh, wow. And while I was there serving as a pastor of a little local church uh, for 17 years. And mm. so I got you know, if you could say anything about the best of all worlds, I was there serving the Lord, uh, being trained by godly men, um, just a wonderful thing. Um, I joined the IFCA personally as uh, an individual in, um, well, it's, it was while I was a youth pastor. And, uh, and I was active as much as I could be while I was there. But uh, towards the end, probably about 10 years in, I started um, being... Uh, really mentored partly by uh, the former executive director, the guy that I took his place. Okay. Yeah. So he started, he'd come down, he's from Grand Rapids at the time and uh, he'd come out to LA just like I'm traveling all over. He mm -hmm. did that and uh, spent some time with me and started convincing me I need to be more involved, um, get, get to the annual convention if I could and 
be more in national leadership, eventually helped me get on the board of directors. And um, I didn't know it at the time, but he was really trying to help me to get to a place where I'd be more familiar to the broader uh, membership of mm -hmm. IFCA, not just Southern California guys, but all over. Uh, IFCA in the United States is broken up into 40 regions and Southern California, the state is broken up in half, uh, Northern California, half Southern. Okay. So I was really familiar with <clears throat> the men that were there in my area, but not nationally. Mm. So by being involved in the national convention, I was really able to um, be better known. And then when the time came and the Lord providentially moved through the whole process, which was kind of a lengthy process to become the executive director, the, uh, the membership of IFCA embraced it and, and voted for me and, mm. and, and brought me in. So I've been in the position for four years now. Okay. And just curious, are there some uh, other schools, and now Emmaus is, is connected with the IFCA, but are there other schools that maybe people might know or recognize or have heard of um, around the country or maybe uh, certain larger churches that people might say, oh, I know that name or I know that church or that school, and I didn't realize that they were connected with the IFCA. Yeah. Are there some schools like that or, or places like that around the country? Yeah, yeah Shepherd's Theological Seminary in Cary, okay. North Carolina, pastored by Stephen Davey. Stephen is a, a member individually. Um, the, the school itself is a member school. Mm. Um, Calvary University and Seminary in okay. Kansas City, Missouri is um, a member school. Their president, uh, Alex uh, Granados, is a member individually as well. I just met him a couple weeks ago, yeah, he's actually. A nice guy, Very he? nice guy, Very yeah. Nice guy. So um, those are a couple of our schools. Um, we have smaller schools in places like Florida, um, Colorado. Okay. Um, and then we have some that we're always working on to, okay. to convince them to join <laughs> IFCA. So, yeah. Okay, you haven't convinced the masters yet? Uh, no, I, I haven't really tried. I don't, I don't know that Masters needs us as much. Probably not. Yeah. Lots and lots of great friends down there. We love them. They love us. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they'll join. And and there's, you know, good reasons to maybe stay stay a little separate. But uh, we have good friends at Bob Jones University. They mm -hmm. won't, they won't uh, probably be joining us either. But they're they're good friends. Okay. And we, we respect that because sometimes schools have a longer or larger constituency than mm -hmm. maybe would fit within IFCA. And so that, that's reasonable. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, another one is Ethnos 360. Oh, uh, yeah. They're a member's organization okay. and their school is also a member's school. Okay. Yeah. Well, today I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the importance for Christians, for the church in general, uh, that we have higher Bible education. Obviously, you were very impacted um, by higher Bible education, both at Biola and the Masters. Um, and I want to talk to you some about why why is that important? I think in broad evangelicalism, you probably see this. There's a lot of skepticism about, you know, if if we have the word and we have the local church and we have the spirit, then do we need to go off to college? Mm -hmm. um, is that even beneficial? Can it be beneficial? Um, so I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. But maybe before we get there, mm -hmm. um, I'd like to hear just about how you were, maybe some specifics about how you were impacted both at Biola and at the masters. Um, cause it seems like you were very shaped by mm -hmm. higher Bible education. So I'd like yeah. to hear just a little bit more about that. Yeah. Uh, I was already married when I went to college. So mm -hmm. that was a little weird for me. Cause you know, I'm going there and I'm with 17, 18 year olds. I'm, <laughs> I'm about 20 when I started as a okay. freshman. And so it, it was a little weird in, in, in that way. So I didn't have the same, you know, campus life that, um, and we didn't even live on campus, but there was, <clears throat> 
kind of a focused attention for me. Um, at that point, I went to school. I'm kind of a practical person. I didn't see the need to go back to school unless there was a reason. And my my wife and my dad both came to me and said, you know, we really feel like God's called you into ministry, and we really feel like you need to get further training. And uh, my dad was going to Talbot at the time. He was almost done, and uh, it seemed like a natural fit. It was close by to my home. And so... Um, and because of the IFCA connections, that's why I chose to go there. While I was there, um, I found some really godly professors, really godly professors. And um, I appreciated even the liberal arts part of it because it brought in my understanding across the board um, of different areas that helped impact the theology part. Mm. I, I probably was thinking I need to go because I'm pragmatic uh, in the sense of practical. Um, I, I probably thought, just give me the Bible parts. That's all I really needed. But, you know, if you don't understand literature and you don't have English down and, you know, I probably could have done without math, I suppose, but some of the other <laughs> things, they, they're helpful. They broaden your thinking process. And I think that all lends itself to being a whole person. I think they're all integral. They, they work together. And I think it's part of that classical idea of, the university, the the wholeness, the mm-hmm. all of it fitting together. And so I had some great professors that <clears throat> didn't just teach me good Bible. Some of them taught me um, discipline. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I needed to learn discipline in my young years. Of, uh, I remember a philosophy professor, and I d- didn't really love philosophy, but because of the struggle that I had with some of the things in the area of discipline taught me that you're not going to get away with this in life if you don't recognize this flaw in your life, Mm. this moral flaw. And really it was uh, a poor grade that I went to him and sat in his office and I said, I don't understand. And he said, let me look at your grades. And he looked and he said, you don't think you deserve that? I said, I guess I do. He said, then why would I give you a different grade? you don't think that's not fair to the other students who worked hard too and yet got a different grade. And so he looked at me and he said, I'll never forget his words. He said, take your lumps. And I was, excuse me, what? (laughs) You know, I was a young man and I could have grown into an old man who whines a lot and complains and makes excuses for myself, which is the way I was approaching this grade. And yet he he turned to me and he said, take your lumps. Mm. I walked out stunned and realizing I'm not going to get away with this. I, I've got to press harder, even in difficult things. And that was a massive change in my life and my thinking and my process as an, a young adult, learning not just for classes, but for all things. Don't complain. You get what you deserve when you work hard. If you work uh, the lazy way, the easy way, which I was kind of used to doing, mm. uh, things came a little easier to me in school, and this one didn't, and I didn't understand uh, I learned. So lessons like that. Okay. Yeah. Good friends, you know, yeah. those kinds of things. Um, work, I, I, I worked graveyard through school. Okay. Um, my, it took me five years to get through my bachelor's. Um, and I worked graveyard as a custodian. I actually worked as a custodian through Bible college, through college and through, um, seminary. I worked custodial both. And so when I was a, a small 
church pastor and I was cleaning toilets. I was like, Lord, you were training me in every single way, um, teaching me how to do all things and to do it without grumbling and complaining and to do it with joy in my heart. Oh, wow. So there's lots of lessons that I learned that probably are not in the, uh, you know, the course book, but we're there. Yeah. When, when you were teaching, um, after you graduated with your doc- doctorate, is that when you began teaching? Is I that- actually began while I was in the process. Okay. Yeah. Um, what were you teaching? Uh, mostly preaching. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. And what were some of the things I guess you were gathering there about what, as you were kind of on the opposite side in the classroom, uh, now teaching instead of learning, what are some of the things you were gathering there about the importance of higher Bible education? Yeah, I was, you know, teaching at a seminary that's all men, first of all, is a little bit different than just broadly in uh, a mixed Mm -hmm. um, school that is more liberal arts. But I was, especially since we're focused on men that are preparing for ministry, the necessity of precision. I'd learned that for myself personally, but now I'm on the other end of it, and I'm saying to these students, guys, you you think that grammar doesn't make a difference. You think that punctuation isn't important. You think that um, turning papers in, you know, at the end of class instead of at the beginning of class or skipping class and then turning it to me at in my office after class is acceptable it's not and here's the reality is this all has to do with discipline in your own personal life because this is the word of god and we're not messing around and you need to know that it's it's not it's not being particular just for a grade it's for the lord it's all for the lord and if you let yourself slack here what are you going to do when there's not somebody looking over your shoulder to give you a grade and you're in the church you're going to keep giving yourself slack so you need to be precise. Theology is precision. You need to be precise now because over time that will only soften and you need to be your best now. And so work at excellence now and then as the years go on, continue to be disciplined, to be precise. Um, grammar matters because that's the way God inspired the word of God, Mm -hmm. every word, every jot, every tittle. And so we need to work as hard as we can to be precise in the way we express ourselves, the way we write, the way that we do this. Because if you're going to be sloppy now for a professor, then you're going to be even more sloppy for your congregations. And so some of those lessons that I had learned back in college that were really further impressed upon me in seminary, um, I was able to begin to help these young men see it. I was pastoring at the same time. So I pastored for 17 years and overlapping that taught at the seminary for 12 years. Um, I could see both sides. So again, this practicality of my personality um, uh, really worked well because here I am teaching students from a practical point. I'm a pastor, not just your professor. I'm a pastor. Uh, What you're saying, the way you're saying it, what you're doing, the way that you're teaching this it's not going to go well. It may work in a seminary setting with all your seminary buddies, but nobody in your church is going to care when you read a two-page quote from, you know, <laughs> a, a Puritan that yeah. is putting all of us to sleep, but we want to act spiritual. So you, you're, we're going to act like we were really, uh, you know, um, blessed by that. But we weren't. It was boring. It was boring and nobody understood it. You didn't understand it. You put it in there for, you know, get your friends props. But you know, you could do that when you're pastoring and teaching at the same time. And so I, uh, I was thankful for the pastors that mm. were professors that I had because they lent that. It wasn't just academics. It was, and I think that's exactly the point, maybe even part of our conversation is 
Christian academics is for the church. Okay. Right? It's not for itself. Um, even if you're going to be an engineer or if you're going to be a nurse or if you're going to be a, a teacher, you're doing it for the greater good of the glory of God in the community. You're doing it to bless the church. It may not directly impact the church like a pastor or maybe a, a missionary or somebody in Christian ministry, but it is going to bless the church because if you're um, living for Christ in your career, in whatever area or venue the Lord has placed you in, you're living for Christ and you will have an impact and that will also impact your church. That will impact your community. And so we need to do whatever we do for the glory of God. And um, that's important. And education in a Christian setting, training Christians to do whatever the Lord calls them to do is critically important as a witness to this world that we live in. It's absolutely important. I mean, sometimes we think about you know, there's a book out there about, called Radical. You know, it's always got to be this crazy radical thing that revolutionizes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just the, the common grace of everyday living, live faithfully. It's a slow trudge of <laughs> faithfulness. Yeah. You know, I do weddings. Um, sometimes I'll add in my message to the couple. I'll say, you know, it's really easy for you to say, to this woman that you're going to marry um, on this day, that you would take a bullet for her. But a bullet's easy because a bullet's fast. That bullet's going to kill you instantly. There's not much to that. But commit to staying married to this woman for 50 years faithfully, loving her as Christ loved the church. That's hard. Mm. Right? And, and that's what Christian education really should be about is that I'm going to be the best dentist, I'm going to be the best mechanic, the best engineer, the best teacher that I can be for the glory of God through retirement so that maybe I don't get the awards or the recognition, but everybody knows I am solid and faithful and I did my very best and I'm a Christian and I didn't bring shame or reproach on, reproach on the name of Christ. That will go way farther than you know uh, anything else that we do. It will impact our own families, our own children, our grandchildren, and it'll impact the community in the long run. And that's stable. That will have a longer lasting impact than some flash in the pan thing that we do. So what's the difference then between um, somebody who wants to go be a dentist or a nurse or a lawyer going to secular private school or a state school um, while just attending church and being faithful to their local church, as opposed to that person choosing to go to an Emmaus Bible College, to a Calvary University, yeah. to to whatever you know, there's lots of great schools out there, like like yeah. Emmaus is, um, that have these professional programs, um, but being taught from biblical worldview, and you're taking uh, you know courses on hermeneutics and homiletics and all these other things at the yeah. same time. Uh, What's what's the benefit about choosing a school like that? Why do we have these Christian schools? Yeah. Well, you put in this this humorous picture in my head of the guy that's got you know the dental degree and he's got his you know person in the got that thing in their mouth and they're you know immobilized and now you've got them and you're about to put the drill in their mouth and they're like <laughs> now I'm going to tell you the Romans road and you. You're not going to move, you know. Sometimes people have these weird pictures in their head. Of, this is what Christian education is. I'm, you know, I'm going to go to a state school. I'm just going to get what I need. Yeah. And, you know, 
That's not what it is at all, right? I mean, uh, you, first of all, we need to remember that we are spiritual beings and we need to feed the soul. And so we aren't necessarily going to a Christian Bible college so that we can take that component and somehow cram it into our, you know, our mechanic work or nursing, whatever. Although all of those things are done by people and the Christian education changes us. It makes us who we are. And so as the Lord works in us through all these things that we're learning, all the Bible that hopefully isn't just knowledge, but life-changing, impacting word that is enriching our soul, that that makes us a better dentist, mm -hmm. makes us a better mechanic, makes us a better teacher. But along with that is the church is not just something we're a part of on Sunday is that we become not only the Christian dentist, but we are an elder in our church. Uh, we're not just the Christian teacher, but we're a, an incredibly well-gifted Sunday school teacher in our church or a WANA leader or whatever it might be, that we are a contributor to the church at large. And that Christian education is not only good for our soul, but it's good for the soul of the church as we contribute as part of the body of Christ in the local church. And then, of course, the greater community around us, because now we are well taught for our own families, for our own children and our own grandchildren, that we're conveying the word to them. We've, in many ways in the West, become the lowest common denominator type of Christians. You know, how much do I need to know just to get to heaven? And then mm -hmm. I'll just kind of make my way and do everything else I want to do. As long as I can get to heaven, I can I can do whatever I want. And that's not the Christian life. So the, the Christian college, whether it's here or some other school, that, that feeds our soul will bless multitudes of times and ways over the rest of our lives. And as we invest in that, we will begin to bless others as well. I, I think that's critical. We want... We don't want necessarily a dentist that has Bible verses on his walls. That That's okay, but a Christian dentist who has compassion and, and has love and, and doesn't cheat his, his uh, patients and who treats his employees with great kindness and is a great testimony to the community mm. in the way that he loves them as Christ loves us. That is valuable. And so that comes out of a good, solid Christian education, is that we are changed people because the word changes us. And then we, out of that overflow, minister to others. And if you just go to a state school, you'll become an engineer. Uh, you'll become an architect. Um, but you will be void in everything other than maybe what you get out of your average church. And sometimes our churches aren't adequate to equip us to the level of a Bible college or uh, anything else. We need more advanced training. We don't want to be lowest common denominator. We don't want to be basic. We want advanced training as much as we can get. And if you have the ability to go to a Bible college, then you should take it. Mm. You should take it. It's. It, I've never said, well, I wish I hadn't gone to Bible college. Yeah. I've never said that. Curious now, and this might be, maybe for some people this question is more of an obvious answer. Um, but I, I'm thinking now of, of somebody who might feel the calling towards, uh, one day pastoring or being an elder, uh, maybe being a missionary, 
working full time in some sort of ministry. Maybe it's a camp, you know, here in the States. One of those things that we would consider more of a, a ministry missions type career vocation. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe for some that's more obvious of, well, of course, those people should go to Bible school or go to seminary or whatever. But I think there's also lots of people out there that say, well, do they really need it? Mm-hmm. Can't we just give them that training uh, in our local church and send them off? And so curious from that perspective, what what do you feel like is the benefit uh, for the Bible college, for the seminary, for going there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here you have um, lots of majors, mm-hmm. but, but I think that even if it was, what used to be a Bible college was basically you go and all you take is Bible courses, yeah. there's nothing else offered. If that was all it was, if you scraped it down to the minimum, I think that every Christian should take those mm. classes. I think that's critical. Again, we, we have become in the West, our churches have become common, least common denominator yep churches. Yeah. And so the, we don't get the in-depth teaching. So if you, you know, and, and I think it's Ligonier Ministries has done these uh, oh, yeah. theology um, polls to find out what do Christians believe. And it's atrocious. Yeah. It's shocking to see what people believe. Um, and I have gone on churches' websites and looked at just their doctrine of the Trinity. And I'm like, that's not even Christian. That's sub-Christian, what you just said there. So either you are not a Christian church or you are so bad at your theology that you don't even recognize what you have in your doctrinal statement mm. is is heresy. And and that just tells us that every Christian should seek out as much Bible training as they can possibly get. And mm. I think that Bible colleges, Bible institutes are a gift to the church in America. Uh, there are places all over the world that would die to have something like this where they are. They, they would just be so blessed if they could have the resources we have in America and we don't take advantage of them the way that we should. Mm. Fascinating. Well, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you for being here on campus. It's my pleasure. Um, I'm not sure if you have a return trip scheduled, but I hope hope that we have you back on campus another time sometime I'd soon. I'd love to And uh, if you are, we'll have you back on the podcast. <laughs> That'd be so great. I really appreciate your insights and your thoughts. It was very helpful. Thank you, Dr. Vargas. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Concerning Him, an Emmaus podcast. Ministries like Concerning Him are possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash partner.